Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Just a quick note before we begin. June 14th is the five-year anniversary of Unchained. On Tuesday, June 15th, we'll publish a five-year anniversary episode with questions or messages from you listeners to me. If you want to have your message or question included, record a video or audio message of 60 seconds or less stating your name, where you're from, and your question or message. Email it to hello at unchainedpodcast.com with anniversary in the subject line. You can also email a question and I will read it on the air. If so, please let me know how you'd like to be identified and let me know how to pronounce your name. The deadline to get submissions in is Thursday, June 10th by 5 p.m. Eastern or 2 p.m. Pacific. Thanks so much for supporting Unchained all these years. Now on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Heads up, everyone. The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily blog in order to keep up with the crazy piece of news. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and the sign up for the email newsletter is right on the homepage. The crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the crypto.com app with code Laura. The link is in the description. Near is an open source platform that accelerates the development of decentralized applications, overcoming high fees and slow speeds with its fast, scalable, low-cost, and climate-neutral blockchain protocol. Learn more at near.org. Tezos is smart money that's redefining what it means to hold and exchange value in a digitally connected world. Discover how people are reimagining the world around you on Tezos. Today's guest is House Representative Tom Emmer. Welcome, Representative Emmer. Thanks for having me, Laura. You've been quite active in creating crypto legislation. How did you get into crypto and blockchain technology? Well, when I first got into Congress, I'm, I'm sure uh, your uh, your readers uh, and anybody watching this podcast is going to know just by looking at me that I'm uh, you know much younger and, and into all these uh, new uh, technologies, but that's not accurate. I, I came into Congress uh, in that generation that didn't grow up with computers, in that generation that didn't have email, uh, a generation that uh, seems like many lives ago in this country. And it's interesting, I, I had a, a great young man working for me who's uh, into this uh, industry and the, the whole idea of cryptocurrencies, uh, and Landon gave me a book when I first got to Congress called The Age of Cryptocurrency. And Laura, what he learned is when you give me something, I read it. I read this book. I gave it back to Lan, and I said, this thing's amazing. And I asked him, are you Satoshi? Right? He denied that he was Satoshi. And maybe he said he couldn't admit or deny. I can't remember. But uh, I, I, he told me sadly then 
that because I, I looked at this, this is the future, and the future has arrived. Uh, you know, government is uh, only uh, going to hurt itself if people like me don't get up to speed with what's happening in the financial technology space with cryptocurrencies, with blockchain, uh, uh, etc. And by the way, when I first uh, got involved in this, my peers seemed to think blockchain and cryptocurrency were one and the same thing. That's how far behind we were, right? Uh, but that book actually started me down this road and thinking about the fact that uh, within the next five years, within the next 10 years, within the next 20 years, what a great space where we can have peer-to-peer transactions that are verifiable in real time, right, and, uh, and safe and secure, uh, and we don't have to have a uh, middleman uh, negotiating these things. And then I realized the possibilities for blockchain technology go well beyond how cryptocurrency might utilize it. Uh, and it's just uh, opened up a whole new world for me in terms of how we've got to get go- a government into a place where it allows for this innovation, it allows for this development, as opposed to impedes it or instruct, uh, obstructs it. Yeah, I mean, I find it amazing that that was your entry point because you have been so active, and we're going to get into this on the show. People will realize, like, you really have, um, yeah, just put forth all different kinds of bills and you have all different kinds of thoughts on many different aspects of crypto. The one that prompted me to reach out to you is something that I was fascinated by when uh, we saw these corporations recently buying Bitcoin and putting it on their balance sheets. You recently wrote a letter to the Financial Accounting Standards Board or FASB advocating that it establish what you called appropriate accounting standards for companies holding digital assets. What is the issue that you're trying to solve there, and how do you think they should resolve it? Well, the issue is there. the uh, Financial Accounting Standards Board, uh, known in the alphabet soup of Washington, D.C., simply as FASB. Uh, FASB has not issued any definitive guidance on how you should be uh, accounting for uh, digital assets uh, and cryptocurrencies, and, and that, to me, is a problem. Uh, you know, many uh, people uh, or entities on their balance sheet will list uh, holdings as intangibles, and that, that just isn't acceptable. It impacts the balance sheet because ultimately they have to almost uh, undervalue uh, the asset that they have, uh, that they're trying to account for. Uh, and in, in some cases, even though uh, this isn't a problem, I would say, uh, as much as the government needs to get on the ball, I uh, if you're undervaluing assets, uh, then maybe the tax uh, liability uh, is different as well. Uh, so I think it's a very important what it's very important that FASB actually clarify how we should be accounting for digital assets on the balance sheet, so that not only does this trend continue, but once you do that, you're going to properly value companies. You're going to be able to, uh, frankly, encourage more people, more entities to get involved in the space. Oh, this is, thank you so much for that answer because it resolves something that I have been wondering. Um, and I did ask Michael Saylor, but he didn't get into the details. I did ask if there was any situation in which the fact that um, Bitcoin does, as you put it, have to be undervalued um, when they do the accounting, if that ever can benefit the company. But it sounds like what you're saying from a tax perspective, it, it could. Um, but I guess that's to the government's that's right. um, disadvantage. Can I just can I just add to that? 
yes, it can uh, undervalue. And at least in the present time, perhaps it gives them a tax benefit. But the risk is is great in my mind. And you've seen some of the other legislation that we've uh, been pushing for, for uh, instance, safe harbor uh, 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 legislation from uh, uh, the IRS. This would be an example of what happens, Laura, if down the road, suddenly there's a clarification and now you have a major tax exposure that you didn't know uh, existed because you didn't get the guidance in the first place. So while it might be a benefit today, it could actually be a detriment in the future. And I think they really need to clean this up from an accounting perspective so that people that are engaged in this, uh, this area, in this industry, don't get surprised later. Yeah. And so all this is happening at the same time that Michael Sue, the acting controller of the currency, suggested creating an interagency sprint team to look at crypto. What is your uh, thought about that idea? I actually am. I'm, uh, let's say I am uh, encouraged by the fact that he is talking in that, uh, in that manner. I think uh, our last administration, you know, we've got uh, some great champions, uh, uh, Mr. Giancarlo, uh, Hester Pierce, uh, Brian Brooks was a uh, was a great uh, ad for the last administration, but there was a lot of uh, uh, friction is the word I'd use, but it's it's more like tension within the uh, the last administration about which way to move and how to move in terms of the bureaucracy, the executive branch working with uh, uh, cryptocurrencies in particular uh, and digital assets. And, uh, it's. The, the nice thing about uh, Mr. Sue's uh, uh, testimony, because I, I had a chance to ask him some questions uh, last week, is that it, it gives me encouragement that they're looking towards advancing this. Uh, but now we have to have this across all uh, of these uh, different uh, regulators, right? They all have to have an understanding of what they're dealing with, what their jurisdiction is, because they should be a value add. They should not be a uh, wet blanket on this innovation. And so let's now talk about some of the other particular um, bills that you have introduced. There was a piece of legislation you introduced or reintroduced to protect, protect taxpayers from penalties on some gains or losses they might experience from forked assets. So what problem are you trying to solve there? And what is, uh, how does the bill propose to do that? Well, there's a there's a great example. Uh, if you look, uh, I think it was uh, Dogecoin was forked from Lucky Coin, and Lucky Coin was forged from Litecoin. the The problem here is that if you or I hold, let's say we held Litecoin, right, and the asset forked, so now you have Litecoin, but you also have some Lucky Coin, uh, as as I understand it you may not even know you have some lucky coin unless you're looking at your wallet every single uh, minute to see what it, what's changed. But guess what? You might be taxed on this, uh, this lucky coin that you didn't ask for, and you may not even know you have. Why? Because, uh, well, once the assets split, now perhaps uh, the government's going to tell you that because you hold both, you owe tax on both, and that this is kind of like an appreciation of the asset that you originally had of Litecoin. I, I, I don't think that's right. In this case, uh, if Laura holds both Litecoin and she uh, suddenly has a forked uh, asset where now she's got Lucky Coin, 
You weren't asking for that. That's not an event that you uh, caused to happen. That happened to you. And I, I just don't think it should be another taxable event. All right. So in a moment, we're going to discuss some of the other bills that you have introduced around crypto. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Tezos lets you easily exchange smart money throughout our digital world. A self-upgradable blockchain with a proven track record, Tezos seamlessly adopts tomorrow's innovations without network disruptions today. Because of this adaptability, engineers, conservationists, entrepreneurs, collectors, game developers, and artists from around the world are building, creating, and using Tezos every day. Discover how people are reimagining the world around you on Tezos. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code LAURA. The link is in the description. Back to my conversation with Congressman Emmer. The House recently passed the bipartisan Eliminate Barriers to Innovation Act of 2021. This could have a direct impact on the crypto industry. Can you tell us a little bit about this bill, what it proposes, and what problems it could solve? Yeah, so uh, it's very simple. It goes back to uh, our previous discussion uh, with Mr. Sue and his talking about a uh, uh, this uh, sprint uh, concept. Uh, this is a, uh, a bill, as you note, that passed out of the House last month, and it would require the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission and the CFTC to establish a digital asset working group to ensure collaboration between regulators and the private sector that would foster innovation. So, it kind of goes back to uh, what we had touched on a little bit before the break, before your commercial break, which was these regulators, they should be a value add to the industry, to those that are innovating, to those that are creating, not an, a, a, a challenge or a, a detriment or an obstruction. Uh, the problem that we've had is we've got all these different regulators, and I think this should go beyond the SEC and the CFTC. I think it should involve for instance, the FDIC, I think it should involve uh, all of these different uh, potential regulators that touch uh, onto uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, because what happens is they don't know their jurisdiction, Laura. Quite frankly, you, you've got a, a situation right now where we do not have a clear definition for what constitutes a currency, what is a commodity, what is a security. Uh, and even though my uh, in my past life I practiced law, I just don't think the idea should be to have the Howey test as a full employment opportunity for lawyers out there, where we're pouring all kinds of money into lawyers to try and figure out with this test what you fall into. Let's face it, in the beginning, uh, an investment or an opportunity might actually look like, uh, it might start out looking like a security, but at some point, it's going to turn into a commodity or an asset uh, that is different from a security. Uh, we need to start to have these uh, these working groups come up with a new framework that is more clear, that's flexible, that allows for this uh, new world that we live in, where we not only can have this, uh, have an appropriate amount of regulation and supervision, light touch is what we always talk about. 
because we don't need government smothering these opportunities. By the way, I want to make it clear, I don't think government ever will smother these opportunities. The problem we have in this country is if we don't do this, if we don't do it right and we don't get it done soon, all these innovators will go somewhere else. They will find a different place to create this next great generation of opportunity. And I think it should happen right here in the United States. So, again, this bill that was passed would create this working group with the SEC and the CFTC. I think we should broaden it. And I think we should uh, get to a place where government establishes a policy, Congress establishes a policy that starts to put some guardrails on there so you and all of your listeners uh, and the people that watch your podcast can literally say, okay, here are the rules of the road. This is how I get my uh, project started. And I'm not going to get surprised later by having five regulators uh, uh, crawling up my backside and suddenly have the IRS telling me that, oh, by the way, you should have been taxed like this. I think those are the biggest challenges right now that we need to address as Congress. So something interesting that you said there was that sometimes um, tokens might initially be issued as securities, but later turn into commodities. But actually also you did introduce a bipartisan bill last fall, the Securities Clarity Act. And in that, um, it advocates that uh, digital tokens be clarified as commodities and not securities. And it even in the, um, I think it was the press release or something, it even made the assertion that digital tokens issued in securities offerings, quote, are in fact and, all, uh, and always were commodities. Can you tell us a little bit more what you meant by that? Well, I, I will. I'll, I'll tell you first, the, uh, I love this uh, Securities Clarity Act because it's a technology neutral bill that clarifies that an investment contract asset like a digital token that you've just referenced is a separate and distinct, it is separate and distinct from a securities offering that it might have been part of. Uh, an investment contract asset is any asset sold as the object of the investment contract. And there just is an unreasonable level of uncertainty with the way federal securities laws uh, are applied to these transactions uh, when we talk about the sale of blockchain-based tokens. Uh, and the lack of clarity is, frankly, hurting American innovation from my perspective. Uh, the idea is that token developers need a clear framework for determining if their asset is a security or not. And it goes back to what we were just talking about, right? So who's going to regulate you? What uh, regulations do you need to be cognizant of and follow? This bill uh, would provide that clarity by amending the securities law to make it clear that a digital token is separate and distinct from any securities offering it might have been part of, which has huge ramifications when it, it comes to someone who's working, uh, developing projects with these tokens. So, I uh, again, I, it's it, there's too much overlap, Laura. And it, let's face it, the securities laws from the 1930s never contemplated digital assets like we're dealing with today. And, and as a uh, as a lawyer, I'm just not a big fan of the Howey test. I understand our courts are trying to make it work, but you're taking a test that was created for a completely different type of investment vehicle with uh, with uh, a different language, and you're trying to superimpose that onto this 21st century uh, uh, world that we're now in. I think it makes more sense that we start to clarify because you're going to have these hybrids. And it's all about control and expectation, right? If I if I control it, 
uh, if I expect a profit off of it. Uh, there's so many different things that we, we need to look at. And if we don't provide clarity uh, in Congress, if we don't start to do that, I, I'm going to tell you, uh, it's already started to happen. I talked to someone yesterday who uh, is well-known in this this area who uh, started a, I think it's a, a $1.4 billion uh, project that is based in the British Virgin Islands because they just couldn't get the answers that they needed here in the, in this country. We can't afford to have that happen. We've got to have those projects, those uh, great opportunities uh, happen right here in the United States. You're also interested in DeFi, and you said in an interview with The Block last fall that at that time it was too early to talk about policy for DeFi but at the moment, it looks like the FATF may soon be issuing guidance that would classify many DeFi protocol developers and other DeFi builders as VASPs or virtual asset service providers, which would subject them to all different kinds of regulation. What do you think of that? And how do you think DeFi should be regulated at this point? Well, as you and your listeners probably can gather from my earlier comments, I, you are not going to be surprised to know that I do not like what FATF is proposing or what they're doing. I think it's uh, I think it's the wrong approach. Uh, the proposed rule, uh, from my perspective, is an attempt to challenge DeFi uh, because DeFi happens peer to peer. It's not clear who uh, the money transmitter is, and uh, quite frankly, if I just boil this all down into a statement, I'm very concerned. This is our government's uh, need because the government needs to see everything. The government needs to be part of everything. This is uh, an attempt, the FATF uh, rule, which uh, I believe the comment period for the industry ends later next month, uh, towards the end of June. Uh, so if anybody out there uh, wants to make comments on this, I encourage them to do that. You've got a little time left. I mean, this is truly, I believe, government's uh, intent on identifying people in this environment and then tracking what they're doing. Uh, this is, uh, I, I think it's the wrong, it's the wrong move, Laura. And we're going to keep pushing against it. By, by the way, Laura, by the way, we, we already have a bill. We already have a bill, by the way, that pushes against it, the Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act. And I, I probably should have mentioned, I mean, the, that, that act affirms that blockchain developers and service providers that never uh, custody consumer funds don't have to register as money transmitters uh, in 50 different states. So uh, I, I think, by the way, we should also, I, I've got a bill that says that uh, when you don't custody funds at all, uh, we need to have a federal rule that uh, it'll help the industry dramatically if they don't have to try and get licensed as a money transmitter in all these different jurisdictions. So uh, anyway, I really appreciate uh, your interest in this and love talking to you about it. Yeah, well, just out of curiosity, out of all the different bills that you've introduced, which one do you think is furthest along or has the greatest chance of being adopted? Well, I, listen, the, uh, the Safe Harbor for Forked Assets, the Securities Clarity Act, these, all of these, as far as the people that have leaned in and, and uh, anybody wants to know the, the uh, members of Congress who are truly interested in this area, take a look at our blockchain caucus. Uh, you've got Republicans and Democrats alike who are uh, learning more and more every day about what we need to do. Obviously, our office has been heavily involved in this since I got to Congress. 
But the problem we're having right now on the House side is that the uh, the leadership of the Financial Services Committee, quite frankly, is way too suspicious of cryptocurrency and has uh, not done the, uh, the due diligence to understand what a great opportunity this is to give people access to banking services, to financial services that they've never had access to before, to streamline the process so, so people, again, the unbanked can actually be banked. I mean, this has the potential of creating opportunity for all different Americans that the haves and the have-nots to be able to participate in our financial system like they've never participated before. And again, unfortunately, when you ask me how far along these are, I we've got a lot of support within the, the committee, but I'm afraid that the leadership of the committee is just not prepared as it exists right now to move these innovations forward at the congressional level. But we're going to keep pushing uh, uh, Ms. Waters, uh, Brad Sherman, some of these other uh, deniers, I'll call them. Uh, we're going to keep pushing them to explain this, these uh, cryptocurrencies and the technology that we're talking about actually empowers your constituents. It gives them opportunities that they haven't had in the past. And I think once that gets through, we'll even bring these naysayers, you know, the, the suspicious ones over, the cynical ones. Uh, but certainly, uh, I would say uh, by next Congress, you're going to see this stuff start to move. I think the Financial uh, Technology Task Force will become an actual subcommittee uh, in the 118th Congress. And uh, all the work was done in the 115th, the 116th, and now in the 117th. This education is picked up uh, even faster. Uh, so I, I wouldn't get your hopes up too much about uh, any of these becoming law in the next six months. But there's a chance that something could happen before the end of this Congress, and I'm very confident that when we get to the next Congress, so probably about 17 months from now, you're going to start to see some of these bills move and become law. Because, again, I think the common interest between uh, it, it uh, bridges political, uh, the political divide is we want the innovation and the innovators here in this country creating opportunities not only for themselves, but for uh, Americans and others around the world. It needs it, it needs to happen here where it starts. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really enlightening talking with you, and I hope to have you back on again in the future. I'll look forward to it. I'll look forward to meeting in person, Laura. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Did you know nearly $338 million worth of NFTs were sent last year? And in 2021, that number is growing faster than ever. If you're looking to make your first NFT, check out NIR's fast, scalable, low-cost, open-source platform. NIR is investing 80 million NIR tokens in community-led projects over the course of five years to power sustainable innovation through its ecosystem, with fundraising opportunities and support for DAOs and dApps to engage fans and reach new audiences. Come learn why NEAR is the infrastructure for innovation at NEA.org. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline, Bitcoin Mining Council stirs debate. The narrative surrounding Bitcoin mining has been decidedly shaped by Tesla and its wildcard CEO, Elon Musk, who on May 12th announced that the electric vehicle company was suspending purchases using Bitcoin due to the, quote, rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels being used for mining Bitcoin. On Monday, Musk took to Twitter once again, 
this time with some good news for the Bitcoin community, tweeting, quote, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage and ask miners worldwide to do so, potentially promising. On Tuesday, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor offered further context to Musk's tweet, saying that he, Saylor, had in fact hosted the meeting between Musk and a few high-profile North American miners. In addition to Musk and Saylor, execs from eight different mining companies, including Riot, Galaxy Digital, Hut8, and Marathon, joined in on the conversation, forming what Saylor named the Bitcoin Mining Council. Saylor said the group was created with the goal, quote, to establish an organization to standardize energy reporting, re- pursue industry ESG goals, and educate and grow the marketplace within the Bitcoin mining community. In a conversation at the Consensus Conference on Tuesday, Saylor also added that Musk's first order ask was to bring transparency to Bitcoin mining energy usage. Not everyone took the announcement in stride, which is not surprising given the open source foundation of Bitcoin and the closed door nature of the Bitcoin Mining Council's first meeting. Marty Bent, who writes a Bitcoin-themed newsletter, responded with distaste over bringing ESG to Bitcoin, stating, quote, The ESG movement doesn't care about the environment or humanity. It cares about control over capital allocation and how corporations act. He added, letting ESG dictate how Bitcoin companies act will eventually lead to attempts to control how Bitcoin acts. In related news, OneRiver filed for a carbon-neutral Bitcoin ETF with the SEC, which would buy and dispose of carbon credits to offset the emissions associated with the Bitcoin in the fund. Additionally, CoinShares made a strategic investment in Verity Funds, which CoinShares says will launch the first ESG crypto mining product in the U.S. Next headline, China cracks down on Bitcoin mining. Last Friday, a Chinese government website posted a statement summarizing a top-level meeting of the Financial Stability and Development Committee of the State Council that read, quote, We should crack down on Bitcoin mining and trading activities and prevent individual risks from being passed to the whole society. The State Council is the country's central government body. According to the block, this is the first time Bitcoin mining was specifically mentioned as a high-level signal by the State Council. Mustafa Yilham, VP of Global Business Development at Bixin, tweeted that Chinese miners were accelerating their departure from China to other countries in response to the crackdown. As a result, Yilham believes that there will be large quantities of mining equipment for sale. While he called the situation a crisis, he also speculates this could be a massive opportunity to redistribute the BTC mining network worldwide rather than having it be focused in China. Perhaps in response to the State Council's words, on Tuesday, China's Inner Mongolia region put forward eight new measures to phase out crypto mining in the area. The proposals target crypto mining facilities, individuals providing energy without prior approval, as well as internet cafes that are involved in crypto mining activities, amongst other things. Additionally, four days after the State Council's announcement, government officials in Sichuan sent a meeting summons to discuss how banning Bitcoin mining might impact the hydroelectricity excess this year. The meeting is set to occur on June 2nd. This week also saw Huobi, the world's second largest crypto exchange by daily volume, suspend some of its services and products in certain countries, along with completely stopping its minor hosting services in China. The exchange justified its action in a statement saying, quote, Huobi always strives to abide by the evolving policies and regulations of each jurisdiction to adhere to risk and preserve the well-being of our users and their assets. Next headline. Ethereum Layer 2 competition heats up. 
On Tuesday, Shark Tank Shark, Maverick's owner and billionaire investor Mark Cuban confirmed his investment in Polygon to Coindesk. Polygon, formerly known as Matic, is a Layer 2 protocol on Ethereum with the intention to bundle multiple scaling solutions into one full-stack application. Polygon describes itself as, quote, Ethereum's Internet of Blockchains. Another Layer 2 solution also made headlines this week. Arbitrum, an optimistic roll-up scaling solution, officially launches on Friday, offering higher throughput and gas fees that are 270 times less than that of the mainnet. The Layer 2 is already gaining traction as the block reports that Uniswap, the largest DEX in crypto, is likely to launch on Arbitrum based on a recent snapshot vote. Next headline. GameStop is building an NFT team. On Tuesday, GameStop made waves by announcing the video game store is building an NFT team. On a slick webpage, GameStop welcomes exceptional engineers of Solidity React Python, designers, gamers, marketers, and community leaders to join the team. As proclaimed on a pixelated gaming device on the webpage, the ethos of the product of the project perfectly encaptures the promise of NFTs, saying power to the players, power to the creators, power to the collectors. Next headline, five quick bits you need to know. Chainalysis reports that large Bitcoin holders scooped up 77,000 Bitcoin during last week's market correction. Similarly, the number of long-term BTC holders hit a record high this week. Following in the footsteps of Wyoming, Nebraska governor signed a bill allowing for state-level crypto banks. Goldman Sachs set Coinbase's price target at $306, while J.P. Morgan Chase eyes a target of $371. One confirmation, a crypto VC firm raised $125 million for its third fund. And stay tuned for a podcast on this next week. Gitcoin, a platform where developers can get paid for working on open source projects, launched a token this week, GTC, which is currently trading at roughly $6. Next headline, FTX could raise up to $1 billion. Sources tell the blog that FTX, the crypto exchange headed by Sam Bankman-Fried, is in the process of closing around at a valuation of $20 billion. For context, when Coinbase, a competing exchange, went public, its first day valuation was at $80 billion, although Coinbase has since dropped to a $50 billion market cap. As of publishing, the details of the FTX raise remain unclear. The blog does not know who is leading the round or the race's exact size, though the publication estimates it will be somewhere between $400 million and $1 billion. The raise may be announced as soon as next month. In addition to the FTX rumors, there were a few smaller profile raises that can be confirmed. Chia Network, a blockchain payments company, is eyeing an IPO. The company recently announced a $61 million Series D. Talos, a crypto trading firm, raised $40 million, led by PayPal and A16Z. Ledin, a crypto lender, raised $30 million in a Series A. Solidus Labs raised $20 million with plans to fight market manipulation. And blockchain development platform Reached raised $12 million in seed funding. Next headline, Tezos stakers sue IRS. In 2019, a Nashville couple, Joshua and Jessica Jarrett, engaged in staking, receiving 8,876 new Tezos tokens in return for validating the network. However, during 2019, the couple did not sell or exchange any of their tokens. The Jarrett's initially reported the rewards as income in 2019, totaling $3,293, as the IRS had yet to issue specific guidance on how to report staking income. They are now requesting a refund matching that $3,293. 
The lawsuit is centered on the idea that newly created property is not considered income under U.S. tax law until it is sold. Joshua says, like any property, cryptocurrency tokens can be income when they're received as payment or compensation. But these newly created tokens are like crops harvested by a farmer, which are not taxed until they are sold. With Ethereum planning to transition to proof of stake, this is definitely a lawsuit to keep an eye on. Six soundbites to end your week. Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio owns some Bitcoin and would rather have Bitcoin than a bond, he says. Carl Icahn said he is considering a large investment in crypto of up to, quote, a billion dollars, billion and a half, and that crypto assets are, quote, here to stay in one form or another. SEC Commissioner Gary Gensler said DeFi platforms raise a number of challenges for investors and the SEC staff is trying to protect them. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said, quote, the firm has monitored the evolution of crypto assets. We are studying what it means, the infrastructure, and the regulatory landscape. Shark Tank Shark Kevin O'Leary believes turning Bitcoin mining green could be the reason, quote, it goes to 100,000, 200,000. And finally, issuance of a CBDC by the Federal Reserve would, quote, most likely require additional authority, according to Vice Chairman for Supervision Randall Quarles on behalf of the Fed. Time for fun biz. What are the Winklevoss twins like? Crypto's favorite kid reporter, Lily, had another heartwarming interview this week with Michael Del Castillo of Forbes. Michael recently wrote an article on the famous Winklevoss twins, which Lily, as a veteran reporter, obviously asked about before the interview got turned on its head by Michael asking Lily what she wants to be when she grows up. If you need a smile to start your Friday, this is a must watch. Next headline, Uni meets the WSJ. Uniswap made its Wall Street debut barely one month after this tweet by Matt Hogan, in which he said, quote, the word Uniswap has yet to appear in the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, Barron's, or The Economist. Well, now it has. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to learn more about Congressman Emmer and the crypto bills he's working on. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Heads up, everyone, the Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily blog in order to keep up with the crazy pace of crypto news. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and the sign up for the email newsletter is right on the homepage. You can also find the link in my Twitter bio. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.